0: We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website. Internationalhorsecollege.com. registered training organisation 31352. Dr. Jane Williams has been with us before on episode number 300, so if you'd like to go back and listen to that first, that'd be good. Horsechats.com, just go and search for Jane Williams and you'll find that episode. It'll be horsechats.com slash Jane Williams or just go there and search for Jane, search for Williams. Jane, how are you today anyway?
1: I'm really well, thank you.
0: Good, good. Now, Jane, we're going to talk about 10 tips for training your horse. Why did you choose that subject?
1: I think for me, one of the things that you see when you're working with people, both in industry and helping them with training and getting the horse to improve, mm. but also from a research perspective, is quite often our little in equestrianism we utilise some of the science that there yes, and some of what we know from human sport um, to be able to help us to train our horses better. Uh, and to me, uh, I suppose I'm i really passionate about using that sort of knowledge and information it's what I work in. And I think there's a lot that we can all do and apply at all levels, which can help us to get a much more fruitful and uh, positive relationship with our horse and to do a lot better. So I think that's the reason why I thought I'd go with training tips.
0: Okay, I think that's good. And I think, um, you know, I really like some of the research you're doing. And yeah, if we can sort of talk about that, incorporating with these training tips, that would be really good. The first tip you've got is to have a target for you and your horse.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think one of the things that I've noticed, particularly when I work with people at lower levels, mm-hmm. is quite often people have some vague idea of where they want to be, yep. but not necessarily exactly where they want to be. And linking it through the research, which we've already touched on, um, we also see at other levels that people have a very clear goal of what they want the horse to achieve maybe at four-star eventing or they want the racehorse to be fit and to win races but they don't always necessarily have a very clear structured plan the stages, which is how they're going to get there. They might have a a trial and error way of getting there. So Mm -hmm. people who are good at horse sports and and the elite competitors and the elite trainers have a system. And that system is planned, but it's been very much based on tradition and trial and error learning. Um, However, what we can do is look at what we do in human sports and we can go, you know what, having goals and targets and having something which you're aiming for, a long time in the future, and then working back from that and seeing what are the interim goals Mm -hmm. and how you get there gives structure to what we're doing. And it also gives us a bit of a positive boost as well because sometimes you'll hit some of these smaller goals whereas if you're always aiming for something really big, you're never quite going to get there.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: And what we know from research in human sport is there's a system called periodisation cycles which a lot of top athletes will utilise. Now, quite often, these will be linked to Olympic cycles, so over a four-year period. And they'll have small goal targets, medium and long. So we call them micro targets, if you like, and metro cycles and macro cycles. Mm -hmm. And what you basically do with them is you have these interim goals which you work for. So you know that at some point, you're working towards a training goal. And that's part of your preparation to get you to where you want to be. Then there'll be other examples where there's transitions, where you know you've maybe been to a competition or you're in the preparation just before it. And then there's the actual competition targets as well. And they can be applied to anything. It doesn't have to be an Olympic medal or like winning a derby or something like that. What you can do is go actually with my horse in four years' time or in a year's time, I want to be able to go to X competition or I want to be able to go up and hack uh, a hack out in company or hack out alone and not be worried about it. Mm -hmm. What are the smaller cycles that we put in place to help us to get there? And if you're not fully confident yourself, you can work with your coach and your coach can really help you. And it can help to give sort of structure again to training sessions. Um, What we find in equestrianism uh, is we often work alone. And we we don't really realise that. If you think about other sports, you're either in a team environment or you might go somewhere to do it where you're playing with somebody or there's other people around you probably 80% of the time you spend with your horse and if you're schooling, for example, you might be doing that with nobody with you.
0: Mm, mm, so yes,
1: having this structure can be really helpful.
0: Okay. Yep. I think that's good. I think that's a really good tip. And the other thing I, I find too is that if people have got a goal, they actually make the point of riding every day. Otherwise... If they've got an option, they, oh, I don't know if I'll ride today, you know, but if they know that it's part yeah. of the bigger picture, they're more likely to ride every day.
1: Especially if you're a nervous rider as well, or there's mm. something which maybe you are a little bit afraid of. It's very easy, isn't it? to sort of think, oh, oh I just want to do it today. It'll be okay. And actually you probably perpetuate the problems with yes. your horses and getting the exercise.
0: Yep, yep. Yeah. All right. Now you've got number two is plan your training in line with your goals. So you've got the first one about the goals and then the next one is plan your training in line with the goals.
1: So I think it follows on quite nicely from the first one really. Again, Mm. it's about going out with that plan and understanding why and what you're doing. Um, So if you think about how we ride horses, I mean, why is it that we ride them? I mean, in the UK, most people would ride for about 45 minutes to an hour probably on an average day. They might ride six days a week. Um, but what's the theory behind all of that and what are you doing? How many of us actually go out to school our horse and think, okay, today we're really going to work on transitions
2: mm-hmm.
1: or we're going to make sure that we do that amount of time in walk, trot and canter on equal we'll range. Um, and we see this right the way through. I mean, there's been some research done in the UK looking at um, show jumping competitions and warming up and when the horses warm up and the riders are obviously warming them up in the competition environment they quite often stay on the right lane and don't warm them up on the left rein. Okay. Yeah, Actually, if you're going to ride a show jumping course, you're probably going to be on both reins, And yes. actually, you should warm your horse up on both. And it's unconscious. Mm. And I think we mm. do that as well when we go out and we train. So if you know that you're going to think about what you're going to do and you've got a plan for where you're going with goal setting, then actually you should think about what you need to do over a week, over a longer period of time. What should I do with my horse? Am I going to school it today? If I'm going to school it, what are the goals that I'm going to have for that session? Um, if I'm going out hacking, um, what am I going to be doing then? Am I going to allow the horse to go long and loose? So this is a relaxation. And also to plan what you're doing within that. Um, especially important if you're linking it through to fitness team. So we've done quite a bit of work with racehorses and eventers where we've been looking at fitness programs. And, and what we tend to see is that the structure with exercise and when you're working towards fitness, is that you want to be looking at maybe that slow strengthening work and the aerobic conditioning, first of all, and then you start to introduce some anaerobic and um, fast work to sort of get the higher levels of fitness coming through.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But quite often, how that is structured over a longer period of time is a bit of this trial and error that we touched on earlier yep. uh, and I think if you start to think about that a bit more then that can work so I worked with a, an Australian inventor in the UK who found that his horse was struggling going uphill and keeping the fitness competition level fitness up on hills mm. and we looked at his heart rate data Um, to sort of see, well, okay, when he he was cantering on the flat, was he going into that anaerobic zone? Was he getting that real fast work to push the horse to get that extra bit of fitness? And he wasn't in normal circumstances. So he adapted his training and planned it so that he actually did more fast work or pills to increase the fitness. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. worked really, really well. Um, Best wishes to Warren, because he's off to Bailey next week as well. But hopefully he'll go around (laughs) next week. So that would be cool. But I mean, I think that idea of planning and just thinking a little bit more about what you're doing has a real impact. And Warren is excellent. because he it's a type that will sit back, think about things, and look at how the science can actually take it forward. But we can all do that. We can yep. think about what we're doing. And also knowing if we've got a goal within a session, when to stop and to mm-hmm. finish on a good note. Uh, and also thinking of some of the really basic stuff, which is just good writing sensors and not but... If you know your horse is going to nap and you're going to try and go around a route where you know that the napping is going to happen today, then don't do it when you've got hardly any time. You need to be able to have the time to be able to work through that problem and to do it in the right way and to keep calm and think about maybe how learning theory can be applied to get your horse to go through that and to know when to call it quits at the same time as well. Yep. But quite yep. often if we're rushing around, we have busy lives, you just want to try and do something and then it all goes wrong. Mm -hmm, And I think mm -hmm. taking that time out to just think a little bit about what you're doing can really help to prevent
0: that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so number three is structuring your training program and you're saying doing it in lines with the principles of training. So would you like to talk a bit about the principles of training and how we can structure these programs? No problem at
1: all. So in line with training whether it be human or the horse, we're trying to prepare them. Um, for what we expect them to do or what we expect ourselves to do in terms of exercise demands. Yep. So, the, the first key principle of training for a horse is to prepare your horse for the competition or for the expectation of the activity that you expect them to do. So, mm-hmm. again, if it's leisure riding, knowing that if you want your horse to go out for two hours of the weekend and do walk, trot, and canter, it's fit enough to be able to cope with that demand. Now, obviously, to do that, you need to sort of know what the demands of competition are. Um, so, We know that dressage competitions, horses' heart rates stay in the aerobic zone, so below sort of 180, they tend to sit about 140, 150 beats per minute. Um, When we go into show jumping, it's mixed, so they will push up into anaerobic, but they'll stay aerobic for a large amount of time on the flat, The jumping pushes them up into the higher levels. And in eventing, cross-country is predominantly anaerobic, so predominantly over that 180 beats per minute. Mm -hmm. Um, Leisure riding is going to vary, but... If you're expecting your horse to canter, then you should have your horse fit enough to canter. Um, so therefore, knowing and preparing your horse will then prevent it being injured and prevent it becoming fatigued and will give you a much better experience. And it is a key principle of training, but it's also a key welfare consideration, really. We want our horse to be able to do what we want it to do and keep fit and healthy. Another second um, principle of training is to develop skills. So these tend to be um, motor skills uh, and looking at task specific activities which your horse is expected to do within the exercise we expect it to do. So for example in dressage that could be things like lateral work so doing um, shoulder in or half pass or more of the higher skill movements like piaf and massage uh, or it could be jumping or it could be if you're doing trek or something like that being able to go through some of the obstacles that you're required to do in that side of things too. Yep. So we can't just expect our horses to know what to do and to be able to do the tasks that we do well. If you think of ourselves, when we learn to drive, for example, you couldn't just drive straight away. You have to practice it, and you go through a stage of having sort of a competent incompetence, and then you become competent and conscious, and then eventually you become competent with an unconscious ability to be able to drive and to change gear and to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens with our horses when we ask them to do some of these higher skills that we expect them to do when we're riding them. They need to practice them too. Um, now again, research in this doesn't mean that you should over-practice them and keep doing them. It's practicing enough that they learn and they do them well. Um, and for example, with jumping, when we're practicing our jumping, we maybe do some gymnastic grid work exercises, but we don't need to be jumping one meter forty all the time. We can keep the, the fence size low and we know from research that keeping the fences about sort of a meter um, is absolutely adequate to replication jumping skills we don't need to go really high to do that the other benefit of doing this skill work is it keeps the horses um, active in terms of the mental capacity as well but also improves something that we call neuroplasticity so in effect we improve the memory and the nerves and the muscles uh, and that helps the horse to be able to pick that up quickly it's not a reflex but it works a bit like a reflex action so the more you do something the more you practice it then the quicker the response now, obviously, that is a downside in training as well because if you do something wrong yep. or you perhaps aren't quite as quick with your aids, uh, you can actually train the wrong response mm-hmm. uh, and you can see this quite clearly in horses, for example, at rear. Um, if you have a horse that rears up, you're going to reinforce the rearing potentially by giving away the reins because they get rewarded by the rein contact being lightened. So, sometimes you have to think about how you're training it and that brings us probably more into the behavioural aspects and how horses learn. But that skill development is a key principle of training that we need to consider. Mm-hmm. And both of them link into the final sort of key principle of training, which is the desire to prevent injury in the horse and also to increase career longevity. And that is about the good preparation and using a planned training regime, which brings in the, the first two principles of preparing your horse so it's fit enough and developing your horse's skills. It also takes into account some of how you should train as well that you should mimic what you expect your horse to do in competition to some extent in training. So A good example of that is in eventing in cross country where quite often we'll expect our horses to canter downhill. Um, if you never canter downhill in training then why would you expect your horse to stay balanced and to canter downhill when it's in competition? Now again it's not about overdoing that but you should introduce your horse to that. If it's going to work on grass and you always work on an arena you should introduce it to do that. Um, That allows the musculoskeletal system, it allows the soft tissue to maybe adapt a little bit more to the different types of environments the horse is being put in as well.
2: Okay.
1: So all of these principles together sort of link to what we were talking about earlier on with the goals and the and having this structured training Mm. so that you have different types of exercise and the the sum of the parts, if you like, come together to help to prepare you for what you're going to do with your horse. Yep. Yep. And yourself as well,
0: I should (laughs) For yourself, yeah. I like the way that they lead into each other too, you know, starting off with the goal setting and the long, medium, short-term goals, then planning your training, your daily training in line with the goals and then structuring your training program with the preparing your horse, developing your skills and preventing that injury, yeah. Wait, can you hear anything? No? That's because we're waiting for someone with a good quality horse product to be advertised here. If that's you, then contact us horsechats at horsechats.com, and we'll send you the details. Thanks. All right. Now, point number four, you've got to uh, integrate a standard exercise test or a set into your training regime.
1: Can you talk a bit about that? So one of the things which is really key in equestrian sports and for the horse is to know that they're set enough for what we're doing. So it, it's quite nice to have some sort of marker to be able to see how your training is progressing and to know that what you're doing is actually working uh, and that the horse is improving in its fitness. And again, that doesn't matter whether you're going out hacking or, or going around badminton, for example. So one of the things that we can look at is a standard exercise test or a set. Now, the reason that we can utilize this as a tool is a lot of fitness is linked to the horse's cardiovascular system. So the horse been wearing an obligate nose breather, so it gets oxygen into its nose. So, The respiratory system is limited in terms of how it can train, if you like. It isn't going to increase its respiratory capacity. Um, If it has a respiratory issue, that is going to reduce the amount of oxygen it can get in. But the real fitness benefit is going to come through conditioning the heart and the cardiovascular system to be able to get the blood carrying the oxygen to the muscles where it's used up a lot more quickly. So we can look at the heart and we can look at the efficiency of the heart to be able to judge whether the horse is getting fitter or not. And that's the principle that standard exercise tests use. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do with this is you need to have a standard uh, exercise, um, which you can undertake. Now, for me, uh, we used to have, where I used to have the whole thing, it was a really big long hill, probably about half a mile long, on an incline. And we would use it as a marker for the racehorses and the eventers to know whether or not they were fit enough or how fit they were. And that was a real visual and subjective way of testing. But it's the same sort of principle. You might have a certain ride that you do or if you've got access to gallops uh, or a school, you might have a certain distance that you can canter or gallop up or you might be able to do laps at the school. But you set yourself a standard distance and you try and complete that at the same speed. And if you do that every three weeks or a month and you monitor your horse's heart rate, then as your horse gets fitter, it should be able to complete that standard piece of exercise, which is staying the same. Um, easier because it's fitter. So in yep. effect, when you take your heart rate, its heart rate will decrease, uh, decrease rather. Uh-huh. Now, the tricky side of that is keeping your speed consistent because <laughs> yes. we don't always know how fast we're going. Things happen, horses spook, uh, and it's not as easy. The other side is taking the horse's heart rate. So if you haven't got a heart rate monitor, and we'll talk a bit about them later, you can do um, a manual heart rate, taking the pull from underneath the horse's jaw Uh, Or you could use a stethoscope. Um, The problem with that when you do an exercise test is you then have to stop, get off and do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that can actually, the horse's heart rate can reduce quite quickly. So you maybe don't always get the most accurate measures. But if you have that idea that you have this standard test that you do and repeat, then you can start to see heart rate decreasing over time. The other way to do that is to have, again, a same location where you've got a distance. So in this case, it probably works better in a school or if you've got a gallops where you can just canter. Uh, and you would canter your horse until the heart rate reaches 180 beats per minute. Uh, and we call that v 180 or the velocity at 180 beats per minute. Um, and what you do then is you would repeat, repeat that task every three weeks to see how long it takes and what the distance is to get to 180 beats per minute. And what you should find if you keep in a consistent gait is that the time it takes to get to that marker will uh, increase as your training progresses because your horse is fitter, it can go longer before it gets to that 180 mark. Okay. And 180 is important because that's the point where the horse starts to go into anaerobic training or the majority of your horse as well. If you've got something like an, uh, an elite level eventer or something like competing at like a racehorse, we might move that to V200 just because we know that they'll tend to be pushed a little bit more in competition. So you might want to slightly higher fitness marker Mm -hmm. um but it's something which again if you've got a
0: heart they want to tell it to you easily to do okay stop i need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification that is that the latest version of the book 101 careers in the horse industry is now available and the best news is that it's a free download so if you work in the horse industry 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Okay, and I think that's point number five, isn't it, is invest in a heart rate monitoring system. So for someone who hasn't ever seen one, would you like to just basically explain it and talk about the benefits and and the parts of it?
1: So there's lots of different types of heart rate systems on the market now for horses and there's lots of apps which link into them and computer programs as well. But um, the two that we tend to utilize a lot in our research are the Aquinity system uh, and the polar heart rate monitor as well. So the polar heart rate monitor, uh, you have a watch, a watch that you put on uh, and on the watch you can set it to heart rate. So effectively you see a nice flashing heart and you get the, the heart rate monitor um, reading coming up every so many seconds. So you can see, literally look at your wrist and see how fast you're going. and uh, Sorry, what heart rate you're going at. Or you can change it to speed. And you can see how fast you're going, or you can have both on at the same time. Um, for the horse, there is two um, paddles, if you like, um, with wires. So you put one over the far side. Uh, so if you think about the near side of the horse where you're getting on with the saddle, you would have one uh, slightly over a book from the wither on the off side, and you'd place the other one in the location of the horse's heart underneath your gear uh, on the near side. Mm-hmm. And they link through. To a receiver, and then it comes through wirelessly to the watch. And equally, if you've got somebody who's watching you on the floor, you can link that through to the app, so you can get live streaming of data coming through at the same time. With the Quinity system, it's a bit different, and some of the other things which are on the market are more like this. The Quinity system has an overgirth, so you put the overgirth on, and on the inside of the overgarth there are two paddles uh, made of rubber, which are basically the electrodes. So they sit where the host is half is. And again, that comes through. You can even have it on your phone or you can have it on something like an iPad. Uh, and if you want with those systems, you can have it so you visually see the data or you can set it through Bluetooth, for example, so you can hear it. So quite often if I'm riding with a heart rate monitor, I'll have the phone set to speaker uh, and I'll have it Bluetooth or into a, an earpiece or something like that so I can hear what the heart rate is at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Polar system, I would tend to use the watch, if I'm honest, because yep. then I can just look at that as well. Um, so what the, both of these systems do is they link to GPS, so you get speed at the same time as getting heart rate and you'll get that, as I say, live, so you can see it and utilize it when you're training but you'll also get the data downloaded uh, so you can actually keep a record and it brings up nice graphs for you so you can see what sort of the heart rate zones the horse has been working, some sort of low level intensity exercise. The medium through to high and how much time you spent in them and it will also calculate quite often the distance that you spent in there too so it really helps to start to give you some data some real figures about what you're doing when you're working your horse um, so if you want to start to try and sort of use the science and be a little bit more technical with your training you can start to see how fit what exercises have been have pushed the horse um, how much you've done and start to map what you do and I think that's really nice. I mean, there's other systems on the market where there's like bibs that you can put on with travel monitor within them as well and other girth-related systems too. And they're all really good. Uh, I think for me, they tend to cost um, in the UK anywhere between sort of, you can pick them up from about £80 through to about £400, depending on how complicated you want them. But they really do give you a clear indicator of your horse's heart rate and the speed and can help you to go through it and to just add a bit more technical um, expertise if you like to your training. And of need difficult question. Mm. So mm. One of the things that I think they're brilliant at is going how hard is my horse working? So if you're actually thinking about when you're exercising and you're live and you're on the horse, if you've got this Bluetooth through or you've got it on the watch... And we know today's training session, we want to work our horse aerobically. So we don't want to push them too fast, but we want to make sure that they're working, let's say, between 120 and 180 beats per minute, so that they're, they're getting that aerobic fitness working on them. Well, some horses might be working at that and look like you're working quite actively and you talk, oh, yeah, they're working quite hard. Some horses can look like they're not working hard, and actually they are. And equally, some horses don't look like they're working at all and sort of look like they're working really, really hard and they're not. Mm-hmm. so having the heart rate on your watch or in your ear via the sound you can actually see how hard your horse is working and you, if you want to then go and do some fast work where you know that you want to work anaerobically you want to go above that 180 beats per minute you can put your horse into a canter and you can look and see um, so and a good example of where this has worked well is we were doing some work with some eventing in a, a training clinic and there was a lady who had a thoroughbred no, horse and we were doing sort of canter work and looking at heart rate. So she was going around the gallops and this horse was, you know, everything else that was out with her, going through stride and beautifully and coping really well with the exercise. And she's like, oh, this is what she does all the time. She's really, really nice. When we looked at her heart rate, she was staying about 140 beats per minute, which is okay. very aerobic. Yep. So she could go round and round <laughs> and round and the horse and never get pushed into the anaerobic zone. Yeah. And to be fair to her, she, herself, she sat down and said, "I could do this all day." And I was like, "Yeah." I said, "If you want to make sure your horse is training on to that, you're getting that fitness for hills and to maybe be able to push, so you know that you you are getting some extended fitness in there. You need to start looking for hills with an incline, and mm-hmm. you need to get your heart rate monitor on it, and you need to see what pushes their heart rate up into that anaerobic zone." Because she, she was just talented them there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, she was just finding it too easy to do it on the flat. Yep. But mm-hmm. I think you would never know that without seeing it. Equally on the same day, we had a warm-blood horse um, that was standing at the side. While there was a uh, lady had two horses at the clinic. So the warm-blood was standing there. Looked pretty much okay. Maybe flipped its ears a little bit. Um, might have looked slightly agitated. Got on it, and we set it all up at the heart rate monitor after she galloped her first horse its heart rate was nearly uh, 190.
0: Oh, was it? And am always in the
1: stress of standing. Yep. Typical warm blood, quite stoic. Yep. Didn't actually show it necessarily a huge amount. But again, thinking about in competition for that horse, the horse has been at quite a high heart rate for a long period of time. I would maybe think about the preparation and how you would utilize that and part of its planning. And maybe it's the horse that you think you'll stand there all day but probably isn't the best for it in yeah. the end of the day as well. Mm. So I think... It's little things, literally just looking at that. And the same with the speed. Um, I found when I got a new horse, uh, my old horse used to rush show jumping and would never had a problem with speed. Uh, my new horse doesn't. And I'm really out of practice with speeds. So I've used the watch to be able to put the speeds on and think, okay, if I'm at this level of competition and I know this is the speed for this class, I can look at my watch and make sure that I'm actually at the right speed. Yep. And it can just help to train you in and get you back into that sort of way of thinking as well when you've been out of it for a little while. Mm, mm. It's really cool. Yep. Another thing which I think is quite good is to think what type of work does a horse find difficult? Because so sometimes we can make an assumption that, that they're finding it really easy. Um, having the heart rate on can give you a nice indication of whether or not they are finding something tricky or whether they're working harder than what we think. Um it tends to work better above heart rates over, say, 140, 150 beats per minute because um, below that, when the horse gets excited or maybe a little bit stressed out or a little bit worried, then the heart rate can increase because of behavioural responses. But once you're getting over that sort of cantering distance and um, heart rate, then that can help to get a bit more accuracy in terms of its reading. Yep. But, for example, we've played around with it with our academy at Heartbreak where we have the riders um, riding in canter and looking at different frames with the horse. So um, again, going maybe into a light c two-point feet, and getting them to give the rein a little bit and just see the effect on the heart rate or have them holding them really tight together in cantering. And quite often, you'll see quite big jumps in the heart rate. So again, playing around, thinking about how you ride your horse and looking at the heart rate could save you some quite valuable energy and just help the horse to be able to cope with with the longer activities in things like cross country, which could
0: really help as well. Yeah, yeah, good, good. And that's also a good way of just saying, right, well, we've, we're in the 21st century now. The older trainers had been really, really good horsemen. Sometimes someone can come along with a little bit of technology and be a better trainer, be a better horse person because they've got that bit more knowledge. So, um, no, definitely. Yeah.
1: And we've seen that as well. Yes. We've done some work with some racehorse trainers Mm -hmm. um, and and high-level sort of top five UK trainers. Yep. Um, And they've utilised the heart rate monitors, and we've looked to see whether the horses are working at the level that they think they are. Uh, And predominantly, say, 90% of the time they usually are, but that 10% they're not, you wonder what they could do with them horses. And it's just giving you another tool. It's not replacing people's knowledge and understanding or their expertise. It's extra information mm-hmm. which we can utilise. I and mean, how many of us have heart rate monitors now? Everybody has smart sure. watches and fit and and everything else. We do it. Why yep. would you not do it for your horse?
0: Yep, yep. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look
1: com.
0: All right. Now, the next thing we've got, another bit of technology, is to video yourself and your horse regularly. Would you like to talk about that?
1: Um, this is a, an interesting one because I know we don't always like to watch ourselves do something. <laughs> um, but this is something which I, I think is becoming more and more commonplace. And you do see people using video quite a lot now, particularly, again, most of us have got smartphones or some sort of tablet or device which we can utilize quite easily. But it goes back to what we were talking about earlier on. A lot of the time we're working independently um, or we might just have a friend with us when we're working at our horses or when we're at competition. And some of the work that we've done with elite uh, Olympic riders has identified that one of their skills, if you like, or the characteristics that help them to stay at that level is they're always questioning what they do and why they do it and always looking for new ways of improving and checking the progress of their horse. And quite often they've said that they would have one or two people that they would really trust as a critical friend or they use the phrase of eyes on the ground and help them. And for me, a video can be your eyes on the ground. Um, when we're on a horse sitting on top, we can't see what's happening. We can't see how the horse is going. You get feel, and feel is lovely, but to try and communicate feel is quite often really tricky. Um, if you're lucky and you've got a coach who's working with you, again, they can be that eyes on the ground. But for the times when they're not there, or when we want to maybe look at our own progress, it's relatively easy to set up either a video or a phone on a tripod to be able to monitor your performance that way, or ask somebody to take some video of you. Uh, And then you can utilize that to actually watch it. I know from personal experience, I'm quite often surprised that I look better than what I think it would, because I would tend to be quite self-critical and always be looking for the faults. And I think you've got to be careful you don't do that when you look at the video. But also, it can help you to go, actually, you know, that isn't that bad. i actually know better at doing that than what I think. And that can promote confidence and help you to progress in that way. Um, there's also lots of systems, again, available and apps which you can utilize the video to start to bring a bit more science into that aspect of video itself too. So the systems like Coach's Eye um, in the UK and commercial systems like Dartfish. And what you can do is you upload your video clips. Um, You can slow it down frame by frame, so you can really drill down and look at your performance and your horse's performance, but you can also start to put markers on and and draw lines uh, and put angles on, so you could start to look, for example, at the distances your horses were taking off from the fence and maybe how striding patterns could change. Um, You could look at rider biomechanics and you could look at your own position and you could in simple terms, literally, like you could video yourself. You could have some instruction, You could say, "Okay, I'm going to change that." I'll watch it. Oh, I was a bit forward there. I'm going to try and sit a little bit straighter. You could repeat it, re-video, check and see whether what you're doing is working, or you can put some of the more fancy biomechanical markers on and some of the angles and start to work out whether you're changing or if you make a change, how is it affecting you? And I think having that and also being able to now, with the use of IT and technology that we have, to be able to send that to your coach. Even if you can't afford a lesson all the time mm-hmm. or you maybe can't see your coach or the coach can't go to competition with you, you can record your performance and you can show it to your coach and go, is there anything I should be doing? What do you think of this? What am I doing well? And add another element and a bit more support and help. Yep.
0: Yep. Okay. I think that's good. Now, we've talked quite a lot earlier on about training our horse. We're going to talk about training yourself now as well as your horse.
1: Yes. I think we need to take responsibility as riders so one of my key research areas is looking at equine well-being um, and part of that is looking at how we as riders and as trainers affect our horses and mm. what responsibilities are and I think part of the responsibility is to make sure that you are capable of riding your horse as best as you can as well as your horse obviously being fit enough to do what it needs to do yep. So if you think about yourself uh, horse riding is a sport we are athletes at different levels, albeit, but we are athletes and we are engaging in sporting activity. And if we look at other sports that humans engage with, there's certain characteristics and physical attributes that has been mapped out in research. And say this is what you need to be able to do if you're going to row or sprint or do something like that. Now, for horse sports, the research behind this is still quite limited. I have an ex-colleague, Dr Jenny Douglas, who's done a lot of work looking at this, um, particularly in eventing, but across a range of equestrian sports. Um, What we find with horse sports is they're very similar to the category of sports that we call travel sports, which fit into motor sports and water sports, for example, sailing or yachting. And we know the characteristics of these type of sports need the person who's engaging in them to have physical fitness to be able to develop complex motor skills and to have quite quick proprioceptive processing in other words, decision-making and reaction time. So Jenny's work has shown that good riders need to have strength, quick reaction time, good balance and aerobic endurance to be able to cope, if you like, with riding without becoming fatigued.
0: Can you just go over those points again? That Sorry to interrupt you. That I think there was four points there that you said and I think they're really important that a rider's got to have. Yeah.
1: So... So, the work that Jenny's done, as I said, enables, a stated, that good riders should have strength, strength so postural yep. strength, if you like, mm-hmm. um, quick reaction times to be able to respond to what the horse is doing and, and give effective uh, instructions to the horse, or yep. obviously look after their own safety as well. They need balance, um, mm-hmm. and they need aerobic endurance, so they yep. need to be able to be fit enough to ride for the duration of riding without fatiguing. Yep. Now, that's important for your horse. And one of the reasons why i put this in as a top tip is because if you think about the way the horse has evolved, it, it isn't naturally designed to take a person on its back. And by us sitting on the back, it's going to affect how they move. Um, so we change the centre of balance. Um, we add weight. And if we're not capable of maintaining our own postural support and being independent from the horse, then the horse has to adapt for our inadequacies, if you like. But if we're out of balance, that will make the horse more out of balance. Uh, and that will mean the horse will need to work harder to its muscles, to be able to keep its own postural support, and to be able to cope with this extra weight, which in effect can be almost like a dead weight if we're not being fit and engaged in riding actively on the horse's back as well. And that's mm-hmm. going to increase the wear and tear on the horse. So I think we need to think about our responsibility as riders And being able to be that little bit fit, to be that independent um, and to be able to work with the horse, as opposed to the horse carrying us, will help us to actually improve the horse's performance, but also to help the horse to last longer, if you like, and not get injured. Um, And we do know that horse riding is quite a a high activity exercise. It's not anaerobic unless you go jumping or you go cross-country. Um, but when you're riding a walk to the canter, in human heart rate terms, um, generally shown that um, riders are going about 108 to 175 feet per minute, which stays within that aerobic level. Okay. Um, but it's still relatively high, it's getting up towards the anaerobic zone. But when you go jumping, uh, you're in, for example, you can get up to 90% of the maximum heart rate. So you really do need to be fit enough to be able to cope with that. Uh, okay. And you think particularly in jumping and cross-country, if you lose your postural stability and your balance because you're starting to fatigue, Mm. then that could have a big impact on your safety as well as the horses for jumping. You might not be able to make the adaptations that you have coming into a jump to be able to jump it accurately. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it's really important to think about. um, With postural stability, pretty much um, the key areas of the pelvis and the trunk um, and also having flexibility can help you to give more accurate aids. And as I said, fitness helps with the stability. Um so for me a really cool exercises that you can engage with are yoga and pilates, and they can help with the balance and the stability and flexibility. Um perhaps do some strength and conditioning workouts in the gym and also some of aerobic fitness work. Um, it doesn't have to be a massive amounts, but I you know, if we want to do the best for our horses, we should also look at our horse, and it's gonna have the added benefit of us getting fitter at the same time. Yep. And I think you've you've got to sort of look into yourself. You wouldn't ride your horse if it wasn't fit and you wouldn't expect them to work hard. I think we'd, we'd all be a little bit mortified if so our horse was working harder because we haven't got a bit of effort in. we spent tons of money on them we've got loads of time and effort to love into them. Yes, yeah. Just do a yeah. little bit into yourself and increase your responsibility by getting a bit better mm. prepared to ride them as well. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. All right, I think that was our point number seven. But going on to number eight now is, and you talked about this a little bit earlier in the principles of training, is knowing the demands of what you want to do, and prepare your horse for what's expected of them in competition.
1: I guess we touched on this earlier on. I think for me, it's really important that. Um, your horse is prepared. It's part of that rider responsibility and key decision making as well. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't expect a horse to jump a show jump if it's never seen a show jump before, or to do it well. You would expect it maybe in a training session, uh, and it's the same sort of principle here. This is part of that skills development. One of the key training principles that we talked about earlier that you need to practice motor skills and you need to be able to undertake um, them in a number of times to be able to get them better and to perfect what you're doing. Um, and equally the horse's system, particularly the skeletal system with soft tissue, needs to adapt to the different demands of what we're doing it. You wouldn't take a horse out outside if you hadn't prepared it to be fit enough to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And we've seen in research that horses, for example, injury rates um, are higher on grass dressage arenas than on all weather arenas um, in some instances. Uh see in some distances. In other disciplines like racing, we see injury rates increase. And two, three, when they go on their tracks compared to all weather, compared to grass gallops. So if you're always training a horse on one of its surfaces and then you're expecting to compete on a different surface, this could be part of the reason why we see some of these injury stats. So I think you need to think about that. Also, you might find that they ride slightly different in some of these different scenarios. So again, you should practice it and help the horse out. Um, and I think touched on the heart rate monitors as well. Even more to train you. If you want to look at your speed or you about you ride better, then if you practice and you practice competition um, movements or competition skills, then it will also improve how you're working at the same time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Now, talking about, you know, preparing the horse to what's expected of them, but you've got here about don't overdo it before a competition. How are we going to overdo it? Is that like just getting too prepared? You know, when's the point where you're too prepared and you're overdoing it or you're not prepared enough?
1: I think we can definitely overtrain our horses and I think it's a balance. As we think back to the idea of periodisation, what we would often see in human athletes is that they would put uh, a dip in training before a key competition, mm-hmm. and they call that process tapering. Uh, and with tapering, what we do is we keep the exercise intensity, but we reduce the frequency and duration In effect, the exercise for less time. Um, and what that does is keeps the, the skill level there uh, and it will retain the fitness for a period of time. So in horses, the general rule of thumb is that it's this They'd keep that fitness with ticking over exercise for about two weeks. Okay. Um, so the tapering just reduces some of the pressure from training. high, it was really, really um, long times and lots of training bouts. So you're keeping the intensity, the level of training up, but you're reducing the time and the length of time that you're actually exercising the horse for. Uh, and the aim of the tapering process is to reduce the physiological and the psychological impact of exercise, and that's thought to enable athletes to improve the performance in competition. Now, in human athletes, we know things like sprinters would typically taper and reduce their exercise by 60 to 70% for uh, maybe between four uh, days to about two to three weeks before a competition. Whereas you have something where like more long distance runner or cyclists um, would taper for a shorter time period, so maybe a week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think we haven't really got that research done in horses yet to know exactly what we should be doing. Um, but if we think of the student sports and what our horses do, a lot of horse sports are aerobic-based, so that would be endurance sports. Um so probably a shorter period of tapering would be something that we would, would work and be beneficial. You see it with top trainers uh and top Olympic riders. To do it without necessarily calling it tapering where they just drop the exercise level off maybe a little bit before competition um, and that will help the horse to do it. There's also exercise not overdoing it, so that's sort of overtraining and making sure we don't overtrain. One of the things is also making sure that we don't over-exercise on a more of a short-term basis. So, um, anecdotally I've quite often seen people who may be in show jumping and they'll really jump the horse hard the day before because they want to factor and they want to make sure the horse is going to be really good in competition and they'll jump and jump and jump. And um, If you fatigue your horse or partially fatigue your horse then you're utilising the uh, energy stores that they've got in their muscles and it will take time for your horse to be able to build up energy stores again to be able to have them in competition. So we know that horses take uh anywhere up to 40 to 72 hours to fully recover from being fatigued and to replenish the energy stores that they need to then go on and compete or to exercise effectively again so if you are really working your horse hard the day before a competition and it really does get fatigued then that could have quite a detrimental effect the day after yep. and your horse could be a little bit It maybe isn't going to perform to its full capacity um, and I don't think we always think about that I think that we're thinking in a slightly different psychological place. I so, you know we really want it to be good. We really want it to be able to do well. Or I'm a little bit nervous. It might be a bit full of itself. I just want to take the edge off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to think about the implications. Because if your mouth is a bit tired and it's competing, that's potentially going to start to put more pressure on the soft um, like your tendons and your ligaments and your muscles. And if you think all of them are linked in, so if you start to get muscle fatigue, then maybe your ligaments and your tendons are going to have to work harder to keep the support and stability in the horse's legs as it's moving. Uh, and you're potentially going to open up more avenues for injury to start to creep in. So again, going back to the very start, I suppose, and planning that training and having goals, you're thinking about each stage up to when you're competing your horse and making sure that everything is planned and thought through. Okay.
0: Okay, good. Good. Now, you've done nine points, and number 10 is about making sure we've included a warm-up and a warm-down in exercise and competition routines.
1: Yeah. And again, this links into that idea of planning, doesn't it? Um, we can get carried away when we're riding, mm-hmm. um, and we don't always necessarily think what we would do. If we went to the gym or we went to an exercise class, there would always be some sort of stretching or warm-up to start off with, and you're always finish with something similar as well. And that helps to get the blood flow into the muscles, it helps to loosen you up, and it prepares you for the intensity of the exercise that you're going to do. It's exactly the same with your horse. And all too often you see people jump on a horse to do flat work and expect it to go into an outline straight away. And um, You expect it to start jumping straight away. You get on, come on, crack on work. And they're not warmed up. And again, you're increasing that capacity potentially for injury to occur, but also to have reduced performance. And your horse is going to be more tense. But for me, I think it's really important, whether you're warming up for exercise at home or whether you're in a competition environment, that you allow your horse time to actually loosen up and to stretch and even work it long and lower and loose rein. Really get them so that they can walk around and that you work out. I mean, it's going to be trying to know what's the best warm up for your horse and for you. But allowing them to do that before you start to pick them up and expect them to exercise a higher intensity and a higher skill level is good practice. And equally, at the end of exercise, rather than just finish, and maybe them a quick walk around and put them away, actually allow them to stretch out, allow them to relax, and allow them to maybe, um, again, loosen up. So you're finishing on a positive note psychologically. You're also allowing, again, the toxins of the blood to recirculate around the horse to stretch out their muscles. And personally, if you've got a younger horse or you're doing quite intense exercise, I'd probably build in some breaks in the middle as well. So you would utilize an opportunity for the horse to just stretch down and to do that too. And that doesn't necessarily have to be on the back. You could be doing it, walking it in hand. You could be lunging. I mean, there's other ways of doing that. Um, Personally, I quite like doing a little massage at the end of exercise and stuff too, or maybe some stretching exercises, things like carrot stretches to just sort of help the horse to do that at the same time as well i think if we would do it and we find it beneficial why would we not again apply that to the horse
0: yes yes yeah jane this has been wonderful all this information you know i've been taking down notes i'm sure that a lot of other people will be taking down a lot of notes as well so it's the type of chat that people would want to go back and listen to a couple of times i think because of all the information that you've given Can we just summarise though, if I read out each of the 10 points, would you be able to say in a sentence or two, the main thing to remember of each of those points? Is that okay? Yeah, no,
1: it's
0: fine. Okay. So the first one was have a target for you and your horse.
1: So set yourself goals. Have a short, medium and long-term goal that you're going to achieve with your horse.
0: Perfect. All right. The next one, plan your training in line with your goals.
1: So plan your training and think about what types of exercise, what types of intensity exercise and skill development and training so you can achieve your goals and have an exercise session goal for each one you do.
0: All right. So structure your training. This is the third one. Structure your training program in line with the principles of training.
1: Think about what you're doing in training, getting your horse fit, developing its skills uh, and making sure you're preparing it well for competition to prevent injury to increase the length of its career. And by planning your training, you should hopefully hit all of them.
0: Good, good. All right, number four is integrate a standard exercise test, that's SET, into your uh, training regime.
1: Have a a standard piece of work that you can repeat every three weeks and you can monitor your horse's fitness using heart rate or visual assessment if you haven't got a heart rate monitor to see how well a horse is moving forward with its training program.
0: And I think that brings us on to number five, which was invest in a heart rate monitoring system.
1: Yeah, So having a heart rate monitor gives you some actual figures. It gives you some data you can use, and it just makes everything a little bit easier to understand and gives you quantifiable evidence of how hard your horse is working.
0: Good. All right, number six, video yourself and your horse regularly.
1: Use video to look at the good points of what you're doing well. Mm -hmm. and to look at where you can improve and to monitor how you're improving it and to give you eyes on the ground.
0: Good. All right, number seven, train yourself as well as your horse.
1: To make your horse be able to do the best that it can, you need to get yourself fitter and stronger. You need to think about postural support, balance, flexibility, and being physically fit to get to the gym.
0: Okay, good. All right, now the demands of what you want to do and prepare your horse for what's expected for them, so knowing these demands.
1: So look at what competition or activities, exercise you're expecting your horse to do and to practice it. Don't just do it for the first time when it's really important in competition. So if you're going to go work on grass, work on grass. If it's in an arena, do that. But practice what you expect the horse to do.
0: Okay, good. All right, so number nine is don't overdo it before a competition.
1: Think about how you're exercising your horse. Don't overwork them the day before a competition and think about maybe... Reducing the quantity of exercise by 10, 20% a couple of days before you go to a competition to enable a horse to have enough energy to be able to perform at its best.
0: Okay, and then number 10 was to make sure you include a warm up and a warm down in your exercise and competition routines.
1: So, stretching and having increased flexibility, getting the blood flowing is really important to your horse's performance. So, make sure you allow them to stretch and to have that period of loosening off before and after
0: you work them. Good. All right. And a summary of those 10 points also will be on horsechats.com slash Jane Williams 2. So I would like to thank Dr. Jane Williams for all the information she's given us here today. And I think her expertise and her knowledge, it is one of those ones that you want to go back and listen to a couple of times. So thank you, Jane, for coming in and chatting to us today. And hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon with another um, great load of information that you're able to provide. Thank you. Oh, wait contact details, because I'm sure people would like to contact you, to talk to you, to check something, to, um, you know, ask you to speak to their students. There's a wealth of information here. So what's the best way? Those those details will be on your page at Horse Chats. But if you'd like to say your phone number, email, just some way that people can contact you as well. So
1: sure. You can either contact me um, by email, which is james.williams at heartcree, with a p, dot ac. uk or on Twitter, I'm jmwilliams106. Feel free to contact me via ODSM. Yep, and I'd just yep. like to say thank you very much for inviting me. i really enjoyed chatting today.
0: Oh, thank you for coming. Okay, well, hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Thank you.
1: Yeah, that will be brilliant.
0: Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe.